Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today is a special episode with the man behind the mask, the Mandalorian, the gunslinger, Brendan Wayne. We talk all about his experiences on set, as well as the incredible amount of physicality he has brought into this role alongside Latif Crowder and Pedro Pascal. I hope you all enjoy this incredible episode, and I hope you all enjoy this season premiere of The Mandalorian. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 148, Brendan Wayne. Let's really just start at the very beginning. Obviously, coming from a family storied in film and storytelling, what were your inspirations growing up? What made you excited to begin with? It's such a hokey answer, but Star Wars, from a young age, I remember New Hope. I mean, I remember going to see that with my mom and my brothers on the last eight kids. We went to the GCC Cinema Theater's in Van Nuys, that's now a Best Buy. When you say what inspired you, always, always film. And it was always portrayals that were the overcoming odds, the unity in the face of adversity. Those kind of stories always sell to me. I'm the sucker. My kids like to call me Live, Laugh, Love. They're like, Dad, you are Live, Laugh, Love. You need to literally go away from me right now. Han Solo getting frozen in carbonite. Nobody under... 30, 25, has any idea what it's like to have to wait years to get a conclusion in a movie. I mean, I guess Avatar is the only, like, if somebody has been really waiting, you got, that's that's another level. But you could have bought seats for the movie. I feel like you could have bought seats for it last year. Me and my crew, Indiana Jones, 18 hours in front of the theater so we could get tickets. It just, I mean, and we didn't care where, but, like, we, we slept at, outside Empire Strikes Back. I always wanted to do things that looked like fun as far as acting went. And so for me, that starts physically and it probably ends physically the same way. You watch the guys in Chariots of Fire. They're running and he's running straight up and there's this whole thing. And I did track because I watched these guys and they inspired me. My dad was a Navy pilot. So I always wanted to be an ex-wing pilot. I didn't know at the time, but that's how I lived. If I was going to go play football, my prep looked exactly like you'd see in a movie because that's what I thought you did. For me, the physical actors, yes, there's stories to be told that have that are emotionally based and in the kind of mundane mundacity of life. And I get it. That wasn't the thing that, that drove me to be an artist in this business. You have that inspiration. You have that love. How do you take that inspiration and love and turn it into a career? In my life, it was to avoid acting at any cost. So play sports, play sports, play sports. And then we're all sitting at a certain age. And I think it was about 25 when I started to realize that, um, okay, bro, you're not going pro. <laughs> so then it was like, oh, I, I don't know. I've, I've been in college for seven years and I'm not a doctor. Those are two marks against me. And I was the last eight kids and my mom being Joanne's daughter, she experienced the business in her own personal way. I used to think it was just because she hated the business, but she never wanted any of us to go into it. But now that I'm a parent three times over and I, I look over so many other kids and outside of work life, I realized it had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with you just want your kid to have some stability. Like this is the worst. I'm sure there's ones that are just like it, but I don't know that any are, are worse. As far as 
But it's about being able to feed yourself, let alone a family. So when I told my mom, I was about, I think I was about 20, 26 when I finally had the courage. Yes, I was a grown adult male, afraid to look at his mom and say, I want to be an actor. But she was like, listen, you got to you gotta get your stuff together and, and you need to finish school and you need to have a plan, son, because you're charming, but you're not interesting. And I thought, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, you're fun to talk to, but at a certain point, you don't have anything of value. And I was like, this is awful. You're awful. But she was spot on. And all she wanted me to do was go get a career going, whatever it was. So finally, I looked at her and I was like, and it's funny, I think she was pushing me. So I would finally push back. And I went, hey, I want to be an actor. And she didn't get, fa- I mean, I was the last eight kids. I should have known nothing phases her at this point. I've never met a tougher human being. And I mean, she could throw a right hand. And I watched her, or she could just, you know, like she was mentally strong. She said, great. Well, you being John Wayne's grandson, they're going to expect everything from you. And I was like, no, they're not. They don't even care anymore. She's like, okay, you're, they're going to expect everything. So she called some friends in the business who were retired, but she said, just talk to them. Have a conversation with them. I haven't told them to say anything to you. It's like, okay. I'm talking to them. And they literally were to a person were like, look, you're going to have to be able to fight, uh, look good, shoot a gun. You better be able to ride a horse. You better, better be able to walk right. And I'm like, what what and they were dead on and it was from the start people were like oh so you do your own stunts i'm like no my grandfather didn't do his own stunts what are you like what is robbing people all those kind of weird things go on so then i was like okay what am i going to do mom and she said listen you're going to go to uh university and study acting or you're going to go to like an academy so i went to the american academy of dramatic arts where especially recently i mean danny devito we're talking Dennis Haysbert, some great actors and current actors right now, Chastain, went. And that's where I kind of got a foundation. And in that foundation, I learned how to sing, how to dance. That was where I learned that physicality meant everything to me as far as creating a character. When I had to dance, I had to have a character that I was willing to dance with because me, myself, didn't want to dance. But if my character needed dance, he needed to dance. My grandfather knew how to dance. And so I was classically trained. I, I was trained in the theater. I fell in love with the theater. I fell in love with my wife there. And then we produce plays. We usually produce a play a year and we go and get up on the boards and do what we love the most. It's kind of like playing a sport in the sense that it is live and any mistakes you make, you have to work through. You don't get to put on a filter and make your face look Kardashian fresh, whatever it is. I learned that way. Then my mom was like, you need to finish. And so I went to USC film school and then I just said, let's go. I found a great coach. His name's Nikolai Guzov. If you're in LA, I'm plugging him because he honestly is for me, the best acting coach in the business, because for my process, I don't want to plumb my personal life. I'm always going to associate things that happen in my life, but I don't want them to be the reason because I feel like it takes away from the story. And then all of a sudden I'm pulling the blanket over me. And then this is all happening inside. And, you know, I'm thinking about my dad divorcing my mom and, oh, and the story is just about me feeling troubled in this moment. And I've taken it away from the story. And if you have great writers, which there are, tons of out there then you should let their story move you and if i can do that then you get to in the audience make your own choice about what's going on and i'm not telling you how to feel so nikolai guzov he brought me to imagination and how to sustain it throughout a piece and that's what my wife who also is the best actress in the world that's what she does now she 
coaches. And so I jumped into this thing. And even though I grew up around the business, my mom was very good about making sure I wasn't about the business. So like I was never like a showbiz kid. If I ever tried to use my grandfather's name to prop myself up, and especially if she was in arm's distance, there was not going to be a good reaction to it. And she was right. She was like, you know, it was he did this. You didn't do this. When I was younger, I was like, okay, whatever. And then I got older and I was like, oh, I see what you're doing because you want me to be my own person. And then the shadow of JW doesn't fall on you because you're in your own space. And that's what she really taught me. She passed away 20 years ago. She was still there in my head. And when it started doing Mando, you know, be your own man, be your own man. And then I was doing a scene and I was having trouble making it look okay in the, in the suit in season one. It was when Grief Karga ambushes me on my ship. After the street goes down, he ambushes me on my ship. Pretty much got me dead to rights, but the gunslinger prevails. But trying to get up the ramp and look good, Carl knew. He just knew. He always knows how to connect with me. And I don't know if that's because he was an athlete, but he literally said, God damn it. Hey, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I, I'm trying to do this. He goes, you're thinking about it. How would your grandfather do it? And I was like, I, I mean, he'd lead with his shoulder and get up that ramp. Then do it. And it was from that point on. If I was stuck with anything, I literally reached to Carl and was like, what do I do, man? So it's funny because where my mom taught me to be my own person, he taught me how my own person is still part of my grandfather, that combination. So how did I get into it? I got into it physically and I attacked it that way because that's where my emotions were most readily available to me. In the most simplest terms, after that, it just became me bartending for 25 years, just trying to get a regular role. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. happened. That was kind of a little recurring mentalist. CSI was great. You know, you get these little things that kind of say, it's okay, you can still say you're an actor. Doing plays and they cost me a lot of money. They don't make me any. I'm getting fulfilled and I'm raising my kid and it's all good. And then, you know, you do Cowboys and Aliens and you think, oh, I'll never work with John again because it didn't do as well as it was or whatever. And then 11 years, 10 years later, he gives you a call and he's like, hey, I want you to try on a suit. And you're like, what? And I don't know even what's going on. It's actually my agent who calls this. Hey, yeah, you want to go try on it? Do I get paid? At this point, I'm so cynical. I'm like, do I get paid to try to sing on it? Like, just go do it. You know, whatever. It's an untitled, I think it's a Star Wars deal. I'm like, okay. They open this case, and I'm like, oh. And the guys at Legacy are like, no. And they get all mad at me. I've told it many times, but they literally like, it's not Boba Fett. And I'm like, okay, it's Boba Fett. I won't tell anyone. They're like, yeah. I try it on, and I think they're all surprised that, and how well it fits, because apparently they've had like six guys. The last guy they chose is an amazing, amazing stuntman actor. He's Batman. He literally plays Batman in the suit. His name is Rich Cintron, but he's six five. And so how are you going to fake that on screen? Like, you're going to have to really shoot things differently. So they called me in, and this thing fits me. Thank God Rich is extremely fit. So my six foot, 175, 180-pound frame fits in this thing. And then they go, here's the true test. Here's the helmet. Thing fit like a glove. I was like, I'm good. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. They're like, you look great. What's that? Take the pants in here, there, whatever. Bring the chest in a little bit. Then they took me in this room, put me on like a blue screen kind of thing. I took pictures. And then they were showing me. You know, I don't have a lot of pretense about me. I don't think... I'm impressive, or I don't think you need to be impressed by me because I'm here. I'm just a guy. I'm just like you. You're good at what you do. 
I try to be as good as what I do. I can't do anything without everybody in my life, honestly. I'd be a drunk in a gutter without my kids, without my wife, without the teams I coach. Like, literally, everybody is the reason I am where I am. I found that in that room at Legacy with Trevor, with Mike Manziel, who, who puppets Grogu. I call him the kid. He's always, he'll always be the kid to me. I knew right then that if I got that job that I had friends, not, not people I work with, but I had some friends that were going to always be there for me. And they were. It was amazing. I had some health problems going into season two, and that's who came to visit me. I got into it. Um, it looked good. So they tell me, hey, uh, we're, you know, we want to call you back for a screen test on this. I think it was like August 24th was going to be the screen test. I said, I can't go. And they're like, what? And I go, I'm taking my kid to college. They're like, what? I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. My one time I get to do this. They're like, can you just come back early? I go, nope. They're literally like, they're so confused. I'm like, I'm not trying to be a hot dog. I'm not trying to be a diva. My family will always come before you. Sure enough. They were like, okay, let's move it. And they moved it. Like, and I got to go down there. I'm wearing size 12 shoes, even though I'm a 10. John makes fun of the way I'm walking. He goes, I think you're really kind of leaning into your grandfather too much. I go, I think my shoes are too big. He goes, what? And so I had the shoes that they wanted me to wear. Then he's like, go get your tennis shoes, whatever. Then they found my size of that shoe. I put it on. And he was like, oh, they bring me this huge, you know, rifle. And I'm like, it's too big. They're like, what? And, you know, it's like, as an actor, nine times out of ten before this, had it not been something I knew I was completely comfortable going to, like, it's a Western. At the end of the day, it's a Western. I don't know that I would have had the wherewithal to feel so confident. Twelve inches off this. It's too long. I need to flip it over my back. I mean, I'm just walking in. I haven't gotten a job. I'm on a screen test. And I'm telling them to change things immediately. I'm like, this cape's too long. It's going to catch on my boots. These bullets are around my boot. They're going to catch the rips in the cape. You got to watch the length on this. I have no idea where this is coming from. I can tell you right now, I got in the car, and I was like, what the fuck? Did I just get fired? I didn't even get a job, and I got fired. Like, full panic. I'm like, over comes Filoni, and I know him, you know, of him peripherally. I know Fabro. I know I know Fabs. I'm like, hey, Fabs, what's up, man? You know, like, he's just such a good guy. He probably... Couldn't have picked me out of the lineup, but it didn't matter. Like, he remembered me from Cowboys and Aliens. He remembered me as a stuntman, even though I wasn't. I just was a guy who was willing to do really stupid shit, which I guess kind of, I don't do it with the artistry of a stuntman, but that is the mentality. Like, oh, light me on fire. Let's see what happens. I was talking to John like we were old friends. I think that made everybody in the room look at each other like, oh, he's pretty confident. But my thing is, I sat with, you know, Uncle Ronnie and eating his jelly beans and found out that was the president. Who are you that you're going to impress me that much? Now, I honestly, Carl Weathers got me. Like, we did a scene. I could I could barely get the words out. And he's like, hey, I, I need you to pick this up. I need to be able to hear you. And I, I literally had to admit, like, I'm so sorry, but, like, I don't get geeked out about this stuff. But you're the first time I ever cried in front of my friends. And he's like... I go, will you die? We all acted like our eyes were sweaty. I mean, oh, it's hot in here. You know, like, like it was terrible. And he started laughing. He's like, yeah, I heard that before. But like, yeah, I got pretty like moment with, with Carl. And then he turns into a friend and somebody who looked after me and still does and, and takes care of me. And I, I'm 50, you know, like I don't need looking after, but I do. Oh, man. I mean, I get teary just thinking about him. Like the difference he's made to me as a, a dad. 
and an actor. Pretty amazing. But I'm very lucky. I go into this room. I tell them, hey, we're going to have to take this, these things off when I sit down. And if we have the cape, we can hide them in there. You know, like we're literally collaborating on how the show's going to go. And I don't even have a script. I don't have anything. And I'm thinking, a couple days, I got to get out of here and go to Boston to take my kid to school. And it was great. You know, I had a great time doing it. And at that point, I was like, look, it's an experience. And I've never, I've never had that experience. So it's great. And I had no idea what I'm walking into, like what it's going to turn into. Like, you know, they're like, hey, you're going to be David Prowse to, you know, James Earl Jones. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm like, dude, just give me a job. I'm good. And then I meet Latif, who's going to be my stuntman. And I'm so stoked because I'm looking at a dude who looks nothing. And I'm not just talking about how fit he is because it's stupid. He's stupid fit. And, and he knows I dislike him very much for it. But, like, he's stupid. We had to tell him last season. I say we. The producers had to tell him to stop working out. Because he was, the suit was just getting, like, spandexy on him. But I meet him, and I say, hey, look, you're as much a part of this as I am. So let's figure this out together. Because this is about how he moves, how he fights. We want a Western gritty style so how are we going to do this and ryan watson's a stunt coordinator there and he put us together you very rarely see it because you know stars have so much going on they don't have the time to really work out the details of the fight and the stunt coordinators got are working on 50 different guys you know, especially you know you have you know the raiders and then the jawas coming in and you have to create all this energy and honor these stories and the mythology that we tell. I was very lucky. First season, we did it, and we did it in a way that was familial from legacy, working with a kid. I forgot how we're getting the kid in and how we're moving with him. And Latif and I and legacy, and then Ryan, Latif, I and legacy, and then John and Dave coming in, and then Rick or Deb whoever was directing Bryce, and we say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And then, hey, wait, why are you doing that? Well, because a Western fighter wouldn't, you know, because Latif's Capoeira, you know, he's like, look, I want to keep it, I want to keep it gritty. And Capoeira's got a bit of a flow to it. It's what I dreamed of. As I got older is when I really learned about the people that I grew up around and their kids that I grew up around, the Ford family, the McLaglins, you know, Mary and Josh McLaglen are big producers, do all of Sean Levy's stuff, Sandra Bullock's first person, James Cameron, uh, Cameron thanked when he won the Academy Award was Josh McLaglen. Their grandfather, Victor McLaglen, he won Academy Award, who fought my grandfather in The Quiet Man. He was an ex-Scottish uh, boxing champion. So I've been around these people, so in the business technically, but not like on sets necessarily. And then so you learn more and you learn about the John Ford Stock Company and Ward Bond and all these guys. And that's what this felt like. It felt like we did something and that the future was going to be really cool and we were all going to be in it together. What was your experience when you were on set kind of insulated before it became, you know, before people knew who Grogu was? I came back from dropping my kid off, jumped right into rehearsals. And so we'd meet over at the production offices, not even on sets, not anything. And first person I worked with was Deb Chow. We're dealing with an action character who's as still as can be at all times, has very little verbiage, but has to radiate all these things. So I sit down with Deb and I just sit with her and we talk and we talk and she shows me storyboards. And I mean, storyboards 
in Star Wars, another level of greatness is achieved. When I was sick, one of the storyboard artists drew this thing. I have it somewhere in the office, but he drew this thing for me and everybody signed it and it was really great. Like to, to see these things like Doug Chang's work, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Like the detail I have, and I'm not in my living room, but I have my grandfather's storyboard pieces from the Alamo. They had, it's funny, I didn't know what, how they worked. I didn't even know what they were for a long time, but I had them. I showed them to Robert Rodriguez. And he goes, oh, man, I forgot. He's this amazing. He's an artist. Like, and he goes, these are storyboards. They did this. And he told me, and I don't know what it is. But he was like, they actually, I thought they were just how they came. Put them on wood blocks and like this kind of old-timey wood. And I'll send you a picture of it so you have it. It's, it honestly is cool, especially anybody who's interested in the business. They like did the treatment to it. There's the word. It's added to it. Then to go and see Star Wars and the detail that goes into it. And then to see this thing that they call previs, which is honestly, it's it's like a felony cartoon. And you're like, oh my God. And they're like, look, this is just a skeleton. Like, we still want you to live within this character. This isn't, but we need you to go here. And this is where, we you know, like we need you to go from point A to point B. I started working with Gina. I'd seen her fight in person. I'd watched her as a kid. I'd served her as a bartender. So crazy. Like, it's funny where I bartended in Santa Monica, the lobster, uh, quite a few people that I ended up working with, I was their bartender. So I, I do the rehearsals, then I start working with people from Misty Rosa, who, who does Quill, and then 10,000 others. First of all, I wear a helmet, and people are like, oh, is it tough? I'm like, no. Putting on one of those faces is the most horrifying thing to me. Followed by the most courageous thing to be. And I know you're getting paid and everything, but there's a difference. Like people forget you're wearing them. And I mean, people on set who are in charge forget there's people in these things and they have no clue what it's like to wear them. She honestly is another of the strongest people I've ever been around. So I always raised that you help those around you if you can. So like she has this big battery, she has a backpack as Quill. And she has a big battery pack that motorizes her face. And so when Quill is talking, it's like moving. And then we got the loudspeaker going. And so she does all the you know lines and I do all the lines and we're doing the scene. So when it comes time to break and you know we have 20 minutes to readjust the light or something, I hold her pack and make sure those things are done. And that's how we took care of each other. Before we ever get to set, I've done rehearsals. I meet Rick, I meet Deb, I... I meet Bryce and I work with Filoni, you know, and he's doing his first live action. He and John have become this kind of brother relationship where they make fun of each other, but they also challenge each other, but they're always there for each other, whether it's canon or this is what's going to happen with live action. And it was so cool to watch this and be taken on this journey and to feel like I had a voice within this structure of giants. Rick Famuia, we find out later, he dunked on me in high school. I was like, oh, oh, my God, that's right. He goes, yeah, and, you know, he's 6'4", so he's taller than me. He's like, if I just jump a little, will you recognize me? I'm like, shut up. I don't want to hear about it. But he's as cool as a character as you will ever, like, come by because as an actor, sometimes you get a little like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, if I, you know, I was thinking of doing this, and he's like, let's just see how it goes. Let's see. And, like, he means it. He's not. Like, let's see how it goes. Get the hell out of my face. He wants to see it. And then he's going to add something that goes towards his vision. 
And that's why, to me, when you watch any of Rick's episodes, everybody has their own specific style. Bryce Depp, he has a very much a gunslinger lifestyle in the sense that he's very quiet until he has to be something else. Very collaborative. So then we go in. When I went to do the screen test, there was this one piece of a wall up in the stage, which is huge, like warehouse. And John's trying to explain to me, this is going to be all LED. It's going to be amazing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, aha, uh-huh. again, above my pay grade. And then you walk in and they light this thing up. My wife had done Jungle Book with John and had coached the young man who played locally. All they had was blue and green screens, you know? That was it. That was, that was how they went. Walking into this, you know, I'm thinking my Uncle Patrick in 1972 was Sinbad. And I'm thinking sticks, tennis balls, and then claymation. That's just where my brain is, you know, practical versus they light this thing up. And it's the galaxy and it's these stars and my ships sitting in this room. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then they take the camera and it moves. I was taught no matter what you do. So, like, if you're an actor on stage, it goes like this, right? And everybody looks in. When you're on camera, it comes from here and goes like this, just like this. So this camera, the focus gets really clear. And then it's kind of a little fuzzy. But this is really clear right where the camera sees. So wherever it moves, that's where the camera's looking. And so if I'm sh- if they're shooting over my shoulder in this, you're seeing these stars. And if I'm, you know, like they catch my hand or something, I'm going. All of a sudden, the stars start coming at you. I am literally like, oh, my God. I, ima- I, have to- I don't have to imagine anything. It's all here. So I get to still. I don't have to worry about my relationship to what I'm seeing. I literally get to have a relationship. I don't have to imagine it, then have a relationship. I just get to do my job as an actor, which is relate here and there. And it's mind-blowing, and now I've taken it for granted. And so many people come in, and they're like, oh, I want to I wanna go outside. I want to work on location. The first time I worked on location on this, um, we have a back lot, which we did outside, but that's different. it wasn't that big a deal. But like going somewhere which is we kind of look forward to when you're on another set, I guess, was Rodriguez. We went to do Boba Fett, and it was when Boba introduces himself. And for me, I always hear uh, Jay-Z's, please allow me to introduce myself. And he lands on that rock. That's literally when we were shooting it. I was talking to Robert. I'm like, that's what I'm feeling right now. Like, and it's just, wow. It was, hey, don't go over there. There's rattlesnakes. Hey, there's this. We got to clear this out. I'm like, so like, I get spoiled. I'm like, I want to be in the volume. And that's, I like being there. And when I stop a shot, I can go in and box. Because in my room, I put a whole boxing. Like, but you're just amazed. Like John's ability to be Nostradamus and predict the future on this one and find the gaming company that was able to generate the motor and the engine to run this. And to understand, you know, I told him, I said, you're going to make ag- actors obsolete, but this is pretty incredible, man. Pretty incredible. I've never been so in awe of what, you know, walking down the planks to go into the ice bar. It's literally just wood planks, you know, that look like they look and nothing else. And then later on, they brought in the actual bar and added that and I walk in and it had a practical door that did that exact thing. And Roy and those guys at effects were amazing with it. But it was cool. Man, it, it, like 
mind blowing, like mind blowing for me, but not understanding the scope of how it would affect you and the audience. Not knowing that we were going to launch a streaming network, we were going to make Disney Plus viable. And I don't say that as me. I say that as our show. Like we made their movies, you know, Cinderella, all that. They weren't going to make them viable. This got them something that they didn't have in their back pocket. Has your process evolved at all? Or have you been able to grow within the suit, grow within the character as you've been playing him so many times now? Yeah, well, we started with Favreau. He, he gave me some really good guidelines for season specifically. Is I want you to look at Yul Brenner in Westworld. He had very little movement up top. I want you to look at Schwarzenegger in uh, Terminator because he was phenomenal. He really was phenomenal. And so I did. And Bando's journey with the kid is our journey as people. How do we grow this character from a bounty hunter who's merciless, lives by a creed, but the creed is words to him. And then this journey with the kid challenges all those ideas that we hold true and dear. We go through it constantly, but as a country, we're going through it right now. All those sayings have to mean something. And we have to define them at some point. And we have to redefine them. And it's like anything that you're able to learn, you're always able to relearn. The universe was flat, and then it wasn't. And the universe was singular, and then it wasn't. And then there were no black holes, and black holes, and there are. And tantamount to all of us. And I know it's The Mandalorian, but Lucas did it with his movies, and they're mythological. Joseph Campbell-level mythologies, Greek mythologies, and our Westerns for a period of time were our visual mythology as America. And it wasn't about our colonial style or our dominance. It was about living free and having a say and standing up for what you believe, even if maybe you weren't always right. Like my grandfather was an anti-hero. Like everyone kind of talks about him as a cowboy in the white hat, but he very rarely played a character that was a cowboy in a white hat. He was a mean son of a bitch. And given the choice to do right for many versus do wrong, he would choose to do right, but that didn't make him the white knight. And that was the difference in the two spaces is that that's how he became the everyman in spite of his 6'5", 250 stature. So same thing as Mando, in spite of his armor and his ruthless cunning and intelligence, he found something bigger than himself to live for. I mean, Han Solo, 100%. Luke always kind of, his creed was challenged, and he found his own experience and way within his creed and still lived it by the end of it. Whereas Anakin, while we made him sympathetic, he still didn't. He failed. Whereas, you know, right now, Mando's failed his creed, but he's honored his kid. And so this foundling, where is this struggle going? Because now he's no longer a Mandalorian. I personally wasn't a fan of the helmet coming off in certain moments as a fan. Like, I got, I knew what the story is. I know, you know, where, but as a fan, I can still watch it. And maybe I'm bipolar, but like, there's that quality. I'm watching this thing going, oh, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But that's what Lucas was great at. And I think that's what John and Dave and Rick and, Deb and Bryce and Taika. My mom used to always say, I really love it when they just show them kiss and then it's done. 
Now, it's old-fashioned, and I get it. I buy into that wholeheartedly because it allows you as an audience member to have your own experience of what occurred next. And I don't mean it you know, lasciviously, like, oh, yeah, they got together. You don't have to define it, but there's a romance to it, and it allows us as an audience to experience it for ourselves as opposed to be told how to experience it. And then you can't tear it apart and say, well, it's kind of rapey to me or, you know, whatever I mean. Like, you can't because it's yours. And that's what Mando, much like Boba, the mysterious quality of him, but Mando, because you don't know who's under there, even though the helmet comes off, like 90% of the time, it's just Mando. And so, like these little girls sending videos, taking off the helmet, they're like, is it okay? I'm like, I will say, I almost always send a personal video back saying, 100%, I am so proud to represent something that you feel connected to. And that's my grandfather, even though he was this huge icon, he was us because he made mistakes. He did things we didn't like about him, but he did the right thing. The searchers, he's a terrible racist. He didn't trust the Indians, this whole thing, the whole idea. But at the end of it, he's going there to kill Natalie Wood, but he doesn't because he develops and learns. If there's anything that needs to be shown over and over again to people is that give, give everybody, first of all, give everybody the opportunity to learn the same as the same opportunity. Don't dumb it down. Give everybody a great school to walk into. Not, well, you live in a good neighborhood, so your public school is great. This one you might get shanked at. Like, we shouldn't have that. It's, we should prove by making sure they're there that they have value by offering the same thing at the same level, not according to property value. I know I just went on the soapbox. But that's to me, that's what we have in these stories without being on the soapbox. Without, but it allows that conversation to come out if we want to go there. But otherwise, it just allows, you know, the conversation of, hey, you know, live by what you believe in. And if what your actions are, you believe in, you really believe in, not just conveniently in the moment, but really believe in, then you have to challenge those things you thought you believed in. I was raised Catholic. You're just kind of brought through that thing and you're indoctrinated within it. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean the value system is amazing to me. You know, as we learn, completely fallible, which we know from the get-go because We've already decided humans are fallible. To be shocked is ridiculous. But you look at these groups, you have to challenge those things in order for it to be truly faith or truly belief. And it doesn't matter what it is. If I believe in my family, I'm challenging my family. If they believe in me, they're going to challenge me. I mean, I mean, I got my two youngers. I have my older who went to college, is out, 23, no longer a teenager. But the other two are teenagers. I'm in that challenge period, and it's great. Because it's going to inform who and what and how they are. And that's what Din does, you know, with the kid. And in turn, the kid does to Bando. Like, that's literally, he's challenging him without having to say anything. You know, give me the knob back. Give me the knob. You know, that, no, that's not a toy. And the screw back on. And, uh, and then at the end, I kept it. I find it in the ash. That was such a great, amazing moment that Robert so he didn't hammer it in. He just had that moment. And you're like, and I put it, and then I give it to the kid when I see him because there was no way I wasn't going to see him. It's amazing. So, yeah, I, I, I love that Bando's an everyman. He's not a superhero. You know, he's a lot like Batman in that sense. Best guard gives him a little, a little advantage. 
but in a world that has a lot of advantages for every every man, you know, like you know, Moth coming at me with a dark saber, jerk. The show has had an impact on so many people, not just Star Wars fans, but just globally, which I think speaks to the story, which speaks to the character, and I'm very excited to see where it goes, obviously, and. I think your performance and your story and your career is a reflection of that. So I appreciate your time and I appreciate these stories because, you know, without you, there is no Mando. And without Mando, who knows what we'd be doing right now. Complaining about the sequels? Uh, complaining <laughs> about the, the prequels. Right, complaining about any. Yeah, that's what Star Wars fans love to do. They love to complain. And that's it. So uh, yeah. at least we have something to look forward to. Yeah, I will say this. I want to make sure, like, there's a, there's a, I know there's a hardcore Star Wars fandom. And I was very, I was warned 100. percent Oh, well, they're uh, they're gonna rip you apart. And I mean, there are people out there who are like, oh, he throws shade at Pedro. I love Pedro. He's amazing. He's funny. He's charming. He's amazing. There's no shade. The fans have been so good to me. If you're in the Valley in LA, come see Grant soccer, girls soccer. I coach the team. Come see the Lady Lancers. We are. I I literally off season for me. I'm. I give back to the community. I have a girl on my team who's a senior who is a diehard Mando fan. And she's like, I get to, and this is my favorite. And it happens a lot. I get to watch it with my dad and it's how we connect. And you're like, oh my God, that's so cool to hear. Really special. And congratulations again. And hopefully our paths cross in person very soon. Thank you so much again to Brendan for being so fantastic. Make sure to follow him on social. The links are in the show notes. And more episodes are coming very soon, including next week's with Leilani Shu. If you are attending Celebration London, we'll be hosting a panel on the Holonet stage, so definitely make it a point to come and say hi. If you're enjoying the show, please head to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to these episodes and leave us a five-star rating and review. It means the world. That's all for now. Until next episode, stay tuned. Leave that five-star review. And may the force be with you.